I'm Eric with SmartPod Fabric Planners, and we're back with another episode of the Growing Revolution Smart Podcast. And today we've got Clayton Smith with Monterey Lawn and Garden. He's a longtime veteran of the ag industry with Monterey and then with Bayer before that. Um, we wanted to get him on the podcast to discuss how he got into the industry, um, where he sees things going. And on that note, Clayton, welcome to the podcast. Well, good morning. Good afternoon. It's been a long day already, and thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, we got people, uh, you know, that'll be watching this at all times of the day. It's it's pre-recorded, so there's no wrong answer uh, as far as that goes. So, um, where did you get your uh, educational background in plant science? Did you go to school for that? I, I did. I started off at. Uh, a junior high, a junior college. Uh, but it really started back in high school is where it started from. Um, I wanted to get in forestry during the 70s and, you know, it was big at the time. And and when I was in ninth grade, I couldn't get into it. And I was lost. And this teacher come over, comes over to me, goes, why don't you try horticulture? And the only thing I knew about horticulture was from junior high. And that was pulling weeds and planting radishes. And I said, are you joking? He said, no, give it a try. So I, I had nothing else to do. And Norm Isabel was a teacher and he's such a great person, still good friends today. And so I signed up because what else did I have? And I loved it. And today I am best friends with the kids from it through FFA and other things. We still get together. Um, we talk all the time and they are friends for a lifetime. Nice. And then well, after that, I went to, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask, where, where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school at? I grew up, I grew up in the north part of uh, San, Fernando, San Fernando Valley, believe it or not, in California, which you would never thought in part of LA. And um, that's where, I, in 71 earthquake, 1971 earthquake, I walked outside and saw the hospitals fall down. I lived in the same street. Wow. I was 11 years old and, uh, you know, we didn't go to school for about six, eight weeks, but I remember watching the elevator shafts fall down off the hospital that, wow. that morning. That, so that must've been a little yeah, traumatic. It, it was. Um, but to this day I was 11 years old and still remember, still remember watching them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in LA, getting the egg, yeah, people thought differently, but um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And then where and then, did you go to college? So I went to Pierce College for about three years. That's a junior college because my dad wanted me to get into engineering and uh, he would you know, help me with college. And I said, no, I'm going to get an ag. And he said, there's the front door. And I left. And um, so I lived in, uh, in uh, hotels, um, apartments. And I actually lived in a trailer storage yard for a couple of years, but I went to Pierce. Then I got accepted into Cal Poly uh, Pomona and went there for another three years to finish up uh, my degree in plant science. Nice, nice. And then did you get into the ag world directly out of school? I did. I did my internship at Disney World out in Florida, came back, started working directly for a distributor, um, L&L and then just developed after that to where i'm at today oh very cool and i didn't know that you worked for lnl previously 
I did. Um, worked for them for 13 years, uh, nine years as a field rep, and four years as key accounts in Northern California. Nice. And that's how I ended up here. Nice, nice. Yeah, LNL, uh, one of our uh, distributors, uh, great company, great people. Um, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I, uh, so I was looking on your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you had uh, worked for the Bayer Corporation before Monterey. What were you doing for them and, and what was that like? Uh, I was working for Bayer for seven years. So I handled all the accounts in Northern and Central California, including Hawaii. So I was uh, you know, calling on them, making, um, selling to them, uh, being represented for Bayer. Uh, going to meetings across the United States. And if it wasn't for Bayer, I wouldn't have my job with Monterey today. I learned a lot from them, but they were huge. They were a great company. Uh, Bayer actually created a lot of the actors that we use now today from the crop science side. So, uh, you know, you can thank them for that. Um, just you know, uh, unbelievable company, but they were so large. You're just a number in the larger book. And um, I was sitting in Hawaii um, meeting uh, Bard Brown, who's the president of Monterey. Him and I have been great friends for many, many years. And we were having uh, a, a beer, sitting down at a bar. Do, we, were, we were at a big meeting in Hawaii. He comes up to me and goes, let me talk to you. And uh, now, I'm a, now I'm at Monterey. It was the best choice ever. And just a great family-owned company. And uh, they listen to you. They, they, you are part of them once you come working for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I've met Bart a, a number of times, and I could imagine once he makes his pitch and and gets his claws into you, it, it was hard to resist. Super nice guy. Su super nice yeah, guy. Yeah, unbelievable. So it's, yeah, I, I, I bet working for Monterey is awesome. Um, yeah, so just what, to my ten years. Yep. Yep. So. Um, Kind of stepping back into Bayer, they're known as one of the biggest, uh, you know, producers of GMO seeds uh, in the world. What, what's your take on GMO seeds? And you know, is it is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it neutral? What What are your thoughts? You know, I'm going to leave that a lot up to the people. My feelings is personally, it's a good thing. As we move forward, uh, diseases are going. Be modified. They're going to adapt to the environment. They're going to adapt to actives and chemicals being used. So we're going to have to adapt to them. So with that being said, uh, genetic modified uh, uh, organisms, we're going to have to make changes uh, to the environment, even as the environment change. So to me, I have no issues with GMOs. In fact, if my personal feelings, this is mine. Um, if you look at for thousands of years, we've been doing GMOs. Every time we crossbreed, we do a GMO. If you're if you're mixing this plant with that plant, you're genetically modifying a new plant. But that's just my own personal feeling. But today is more involved. We're we're taking genes from Pacific um, genomes and uh, picking out the best elements, picking out the best parts of that plant, either to match the environment or to max the disease resistance of the environment or even soil content. So for me personally, I think it's a step forward. Some people may not agree with it, but I think we need to do this. Yeah, 
I, I'm on the side of, I guess, I'm not really sure. I'm uh, not going to say that I've never consumed any, you know, genetically modified products. Like, um, but I don't know. I guess I'm I'm a skeptical person uh, at heart. And I don't know. The, the one that gets me the most is like GMO apples with the CRISPR mm -hmm. technology where they don't brown, you know, even after they've right. been sliced and sitting out for months. I just, I don't know. I, I just... I can't see how that's a good thing that apples don't brown, but I guess, you know, that's a little bit beyond my pay grade. So, But if they're not browning, then they're going to last longer on the shelf, so you're not throwing them away either Yes. Uh, at the store level. Yes. So you're not wasting the food at that point. And you're not changing the taste. You're not changing... Um, how the plant is going to grow, and you're not changing the even the, how they're being pollinated. So again, you're not wasting the food either. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, everything comes down to dollars and cents, and you know right. that's that's why GMO is out there is because it maximizes efficiencies and uh, increases, I guess you know, profits and and uh, and all that. So I guess we'll we'll just leave that subject there. <laughs> Because we could talk about GMO all day. Um, yeah, so get... I, I had some good discussions on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so getting into your current company, Monterey, uh, they've got a wide range of products. Um, but I guess when, when I think of Monterey, I think of pest and disease control uh, primarily. Can you talk about some of the pest and disease control sure. Uh, substances that make up like the ingredients in your products and why growers should be using them? Yeah, and, and more to the point, we want to think of Monterey as plant health and, 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 and making the plant healthier for you um, and, and even the environmental health because our main thing is to uh, make sure the plant's pollinated, to make sure with, with the new organics come out, uh, these are not the organics of yesterday or of your grandfather's even. So with that being said, we're not like the Bears or the Monsanto's. We look at niche items that we can bring to the market because we, we our main focus with our accounts are the, are the uh, nurseries, uh, the farm stores, the hardware stores. That's who we focus on because those are our customers, the homeowners there. Yep. So, you know, we have a lot of organics in our in our setups. We have three main colors of bottles with us. We have our orange for our inorganics. Uh, we have our green for our organic bottles. And then we have a new blue bottle for our liquid fertilizers. So it's really easy to tell when you walk and look at our products, which one's which. Nice. And, and with that being said, we, we can do niche items that a lot of um, manufacturers can't do because we are a little bit smaller and we can we don't have to look so much at profit but we look at what is best for the customer yeah what what's like maybe a your top two products uh what, what are the most popular slogan of course it comes out this was our mainstay right here you know when we came out with this 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 helped start our company uh you know iron uh iron phosphate, you know, it's pet safe. And without this, our company wouldn't be here today. Um, I think every garden store has Sluggo. Right. And, you know, a lot of people imitate us, but we still have the name. And that's why we're here today. 
It's a solid and then name. Of course, right. And then, of course, we have Sluggo Plus, which we add Spinoza to, that will help get the creepy crawlers. So Sluggo will get the gist of snails and slugs by adding the Spinoza, because there's a lot of other things like sow bugs and you know, millibugs and uh, earwigs that will get the root hairs as well. So we add Spinoza to get those. And yeah. so it's just a little step up with your with the line. Um, and then, you know, things like uh, takedown, which is our canola oil pyrethrin. Uh, so quick knockdown, you know, again, organic. And then uh, and smothers the insects at the same time. And then we brought out brought out the first ones with um, complete disease control, just a live bacteria that will help fight off funguses. So now we're using live organisms, live bacteria to fight off bacteria at the same time. And we were nice. the first ones with this on the market, and it's just exploded on us. Nice. Yeah, I, I think you know consumers in general want to have something as safe as possible, but they want something that gets the job done. So it kind of sounds like that's uh, where you guys are targeting. Yeah, and we can bring up these niche items because we're not, we don't have to depend on the box stores to drive our business. Okay, so so would you say most of your, most of your sales then come from the IGC independent garden stores versus the big box stores? Yeah, yes, I, I would have to agree with that, yep. Yeah, we got a nice. small team, we have, you know, eight, eight people across the country um, that do one hell of a job for us. Uh, we have our team down in Fresno. But what's nice is we have Brent, our parent company, which is huge in the ag side. You know, not a lot of people know about Brent, but anybody in agriculture knows about Brent. And it's family owned, and that's the way we are all treated is as family. Yeah. I, I think people would be amazed, you know, by how big of a company, you know, Monterey and some of the other lawn and garden companies are, you know, sales wise and, and presence wise. But they would be surprised by like how small these companies actually run and, and, and uh, you know, Smart Pots uh, high caliper growing is, is really similar to that. Yeah, and we, and we um, follow pretty much your model a lot of times. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, now, uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you hear about end users making with Monterey products or, you know, it, it could be just, you know, general to gardening products in general. I, I think the main thing is less, more is better. So, you know, they think when it says, for instance, um, on our complete disease, one teaspoon per gallon, they think five teaspoons is better. And that's right. not the case. My job is kind of involved a little bit uh, with with the passing of our of our uh, Tommy that started our company, um, and I answer questions across the United States now as part of my job, and um, and I keep this. Where is it? This is my big book of labels, and I keep this with me at all times. So they read it and they th said, well, two teaspoons, one teaspoon is all I, is what the label says. Uh, that's what it takes. There's been a lot of work figuring out what it, you know, how much does it take? That's what it takes. Don't go overboard. Don't add more into the environment than what is necessary. And I think that's the biggest thing there is. There's a reason why those labels are there. They're not the easiest things to read, trust me. 
Um, but we have to go through state, we have to go through federal, even before any products come on the shelf. And it's, sometimes it can take years before it takes a new product on the shelf. Most of the time it takes at least a year to bring a new product on the shelf. Yep. Yep. Yeah. People don't realize like every state has their own department of agriculture of some sort, and they don't always follow the, the same guidelines. Uh, some states are much more strict than others. Uh, and they might even be like next door to each other, like Nevada and California. So, well, we always start with California. So if we can get through California, yeah. we have a good chance to get through the rest of the states. And even then yeah. there's, you know, there's a couple of products that we sell in California that may not sell in Nevada, yet we can sell blowtorches in Nevada. You know, it just depends on the niche. Yep. Yep. Um, so you get questions, you know, from the general public as well as dealers. What are some of the more outrageous things that you've heard people ask or inquire about? I've been working with this guy from upstate New York for the last two weeks. And I feel for him. I really do. He's in his 80s. And I've probably been on the phone with him four or five times the last two weeks. And bless his heart. He has two geraniums that have been in the same pot for three years. And they are getting old. And I cannot convince him that he needs to transplant them. And, you know, they're dying from root rot. And I, and I keep saying, Bob, you got to move them. You're overwatering them. They're not doing well. Take cuttings now or air layer them, but you've got to move them. And he has names for them. And I, and I really do feel for him. Um, and I was, on, I was texting him this morning, please move them to larger pots. Please take cuttings on if you want to save them. They're your babies, I know, but can you listen to me? Yeah. And, and I, I don't know I, why he would be so hesitant about upshifting to a larger container. Next time you talk to him, get his uh, contact info. We'll, we'll send him a smart pot or two. I got, I got his address. And then the other thing, I, like I said, more, people think more is better. And I have to keep telling them, please follow the label. That's why it says one ounce per gallon or one and a half ounces. But again, the labels can be a little bit difficult. And I have, lab I have labels broken down to two things, an open label and closed label. So open a closed label is within these blocks of wording, you have to stay within those blocks. If it says these plants will be killed by this herbicide, you have to stay there. You cannot deviate. Or these insects will, will be killed, or this is how much you use. Then there are open labels, for instance, uh, we have a product called Bugbuster O, uh, which will list probably a hundred insects in there. Then at the bottom will say and more. So you have to, that's an open label. So it's just reading the labels and understanding them. And it takes time. And that's what I do as interpretive. Is that dependent on the ingredients that are in there? Well, what you can basically say on the label then? Well, two things. One, the ingredient and two, what the state and federal allow us to say. Makes sense. And what Makes they've sense. been tested on, too. Right. So, right. so there's a lot of things that go into what's on the label. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, if, if you get even one exaggerated claim, like you might have to recall all of your uh, products from a given state. So it's best to be better to be safe than sorry when it comes to labeling. Yeah, now you have to follow the label. With my and I and right. I have and I have an ag license, so I have to make sure I follow the label, uh, right? Because I can't deviate at all. And people people said, "Well, can't you give me a different dosage?" I said, "No, this is what I have to do. Otherwise, I'm in trouble." Right. Yeah. Um, now you're the chairman of the Plant California Alliance. Can you please talk about that and what that organization is all about? Yeah, so the Plant California Alliance has been around for a long time. It's it's now, uh, it used to be the California Association of Nurserymen, and they were different chapters throughout the state. And they were around for a long, long time. And a number of years ago, it, it kind of consolidated into one unit. And it was the California Association of Nurserymen via the state. And all the chapters became uh, into the Sacramento office. And then recently we changed the name about uh, four years ago to the Plant California Alliance to bring in new members, growers and, and other people into our association. So we're pretty, I think around 350 members strong right now. And that includes growers, nurseries uh, and other affiliates, um, educations. We do a lot with colleges. Um, UC Davis, uh, Modesto, uh, the Cal Poly's are all big affiliates of ours. We work with the, with the schools, with the School of Agriculture. Uh, I'm involved with them. Uh, we give any about, we, we have different committees a lot, uh, within our group. And one committee alone works on scholarships. The other one works on research. And we give about $175,000 a year to uh, both of them kind of broken up between the two of them uh, to help kids oh. get into college. They have to write a paper, of course, and research. The research, even though it may not apply to all of ours, they have to apply to part of ours. So, for instance, drought-tolerant plants. We're doing a lot with irrigation, home irrigation right now. And it has to go through the committee before it's even presented to the to the uh, to the board, and I'm oh, okay. being chairman. I'm part of all that. Nice, nice. So, well, I'd say just for you know uh, getting the scholarships in the hands of uh, you know the kids that need them, uh, it sounds like a cool organization to be a part of. Yeah, and the other thing um, that we disseminate, uh, sorry, is um, state laws and federal laws. So we actually have lawyers okay. too. Uh, that you know that lobby for us, you know, uh, and of course now and nowadays uh, it's been very tough, but they let us know what's coming down the pike and what we should be fighting, where we should write letters to too, and that's helped a lot. Nice, nice, yeah. It's always good to be uh, proactive uh, in terms of regulations that hopefully it doesn't you know completely crush you. You're not caught uh, totally off guard. Yeah. Um. So you've been in the lawn and garden ag industry, you know, basically your whole career. What's your favorite part about this industry that we're in? You know, I, I, I make this very clear. Are you going to become a millionaire? Most people know 
but the answer is no. Are you going to make a good living? So I, I give a lot of talks to high school kids, and that's one of my favorite things to do because they're going to become our future um, employer employees and sometimes our employers at the same time. Um, but you're going to make a good, good living. And that's one of my favorite parts to do. Um, and, and when you look at the future of our industry, meeting the people, they are, to me, being as long as I've been into it, uh, the best thing about our industry. Uh, diversity, the strength of our people, each one's different, but we all work for the same goal. Whether it's our family, whether it's the industry, or whether the love of plants. And, and to me, that's more than anything else. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I'd have to say out of every hundred people I meet in the industry, there's maybe like one person that you would rather not speak to again. But, you know, that 99% just like makes my day uh, awesome. And I used to sell like advertising and that was so intangible. And being in the uh, lawn and garden ag industry, you're, you're selling products that people are using to make their lives better. And at the end of the day, I just feel so good about this industry. We're, we're really doing God's work right. uh, in a sense. You, I, I live up in the mountains and, and I'm blessed that my backyard is national forest and, and seeing the trees grow. And to me, that's life within itself. And that's the way I've taught my boy. I have four boys, four boys. Um, and that's the way I've taught them is to be grateful for what you have and look outside and see what you can enjoy. Nice, nice. Um, now, I've heard that one of your passions is the dulcimer. And I've, I'd be willing to bet a lot of people don't even know what a dulcimer is. So. Uh, could you explain what a dulcimer is and maybe give us a little... I am, a I'm, little, I'm uh... going to hurt Jeff. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you heard, you got that from Jeff. Well, you know, either Jeff or one of your other Monterey co-workers. It might have been Bard. I okay. don't know. I... You're, you're, fa you're famous for your dulcimer. Okay, so I spent a lot of time in the South doing research. One of my passions in college was field botany. And I worked with some of the, one of the best field botanists. So, um, so I traveled all over the country. And I did a lot of field research in the South and in the Appalachian Mountains. And I heard this music and I just loved it. And, and I asked them what it was. Not, let me go. Yeah, there we go. So it's, it's one of only two true instruments made in America that is original from America. The other one being the banjo. And um, I've been playing for about 30 years. And I tell people I can teach anyone and how to play this but it, it takes years to master it. Sure. So, uh, and I have a whole music alcove in, in my house. I got hammered dulcimers, a lot different piano, a piano and a couple of guitars, but this is my favorite instrument right here. And it's electric. It's a beautiful instrument. Yeah, it's electric. So I can hook, do a pickup on it. 
crank it up. Yeah, so it's, it's fun. I'll just sit down in the evening time in the backyard with the trees that are three, 400 feet tall and just play it. And my wife will come out and I say, I'm sorry for interrupting you. And she goes, no, just keep playing. And well, can you play us a little? Something? Yeah, let me get the other chair because I can't do it in my chair here. Uh, okay. Give me a second. Either figure prick it, pick it, or strum it. So I'm just trying to strum this. You have to use sticky thingies on your legs, otherwise it slides off, and that's not good. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's see if I can do it. Can you hear it? Oh, yeah. I'm clear. Something like that. Hey, I, I kind of felt like that was the beginnings of like a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> there you go. Or you can play an Appalachian. Honestly, I can't say that I've ever heard the dulcimer uh, it being live, but check that off the bucket you, list. Yeah, I play sometimes at church and stuff. Nice. No, that that's that's a really cool sounding instru instrument. Thanks for uh, sharing that with us. That was that was no, pretty cool. No problem. My my pleasure. Nice. Well, uh, Clayton. That was uh, pretty much all the questions that we had over here. So, um, you know, just wanted to thank you for joining us on the podcast and giving us, uh, you know, some insight into what's going on at Monterey and then you personally. So um, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. No, thank you. you very much for having me. And if there's any questions that come across, I'm here to help. That's all. That's what I'm here for. Nice, nice. Did, did you want to leave an email for anybody? Um, yeah, you can get me at uh, clayton.smith at brant, B-R-A-N-D-T, Monterey, all one big word. I try and fit it in these small spaces. doesn't work. Dot co, not dot com. Nice, nice. Well, again, uh, thanks, Clayton. Uh, really good talking with you, and I'm sure I'll be seeing you at uh, one of the upcoming shows here. We got year. a couple shows coming up real quickly. I'll see you sooner than okay, later. Okay, well, thanks for having me. Have a great this day. Fun. Appreciate it.